T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. It's that time of night, you can't stay up tight, so come and join the people and I'm feeling all right here on old. America. Yeah. I know Doug may be listening right now who performed that. Uh, I wanted to let you know that I had someone reach out to me on Facebook who wanted me to type out the lyrics to that song because when she listens to it, she gets it, but she wanted to make sure she got the right words. So it was kind of cool. People do like it. And it's always a nice addition to uh, kick off the last hour of the show that way. 314-436-7900 or 800 800- Nine two five eleven twenty. We're going to play our interview with Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. A lot to go over with him that I want to talk about. And you heard that one story right at the top of the hour, the news. And part of the big story of what's going on when it comes to vaccinations in St. Louis is the priority. So what is the priority? Well, priority of those at risk. So if you're up there in age, you're at risk. If you have underlying conditions, you're at risk. If you're a first responder, meaning you work with the public, meaning you're in contact with other people or elderly or whatever it may be, you're working with them through the nursing homes, you are someone that would be considered at a high priority. So they wanted to make sure that they get the ones that need it the most into the system. But we're finding, according to a report from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, that it's not always like that. So they had a big thing at Union Station over the weekend where people were getting vaccinated. You could put your name down and see if you qualify or whatever it is. But what they're finding is that, you know, uh, here's a couple of examples that they said. 1,800 people ended up getting doses at Union Station, the site's first large-scale vaccination event. One person, uh, Marva Borders, is 68, has hypertension, heart issues. She says she lives within a 10-minute walk to Union Station, but did not get an invite. But Scott, who's 36, volunteered to get the Pfizer and he did. He got the invite. OK, you can do that. Uh, another one said Melissa Shields, 40 years old, said she was very surprised to get an invite. She told this po- uh, post-dispatch reporter on Saturday while standing in line for her dose. She works from home and doesn't have any underlying health conditions. Um, other people, a alderman, Christine 
in Gracia from the sixth ward said she also heard from 20 and 30 people or so that received vaccines at the event later figured out they were not yet eligible under state guidelines. It's kind of like our representatives who were doing the same thing. And governor Parson had to come out and mention, if you jump the line because you're a politician, you use that, that is wrong, right? You're, you're going to be scolded for that. And you should be, you shouldn't be taking it away from those that have a, a, a higher priority number, but let me, and mention this, and this is something I don't understand. And I heard the clip that Sean played during the news where it was Mayor Lyda Cruson who was saying that, you know, you check a box online and, you know, it's hard to double check those things or whatever. And we're not just going to, you know, we had extra doses, so we're just going to do it anyway. Those two things to me don't mesh up for two reasons. One, uh, if you have extra doses, I guess you can say, well, we wanted to give them out to people that were there waiting for it and you know maybe some people that are elderly that didn't make it so they had open spots or whatever it is but why that doesn't mesh up is because if you had to register for this and be pre-qualified to get one then that would mean the people who were there were pre-qualified did you have a lot of people just walking up to walk up um I don't know. They don't really address that because the people that are quoted as part of the post-dispatch article mentions that you had those that wanted it but were turned away. But those that registered who are young and didn't have any other underlining conditions that were accepted. So I know it's a big deal. It's, it's a tough thing to try to organize something like this. But that doesn't seem right, does it? Probably not. Missouri reported on Sunday that 394,000 people received at least one dose. That's about six and a half percent of the population and continuing to grow. So there's, I guess that's the way to look at it. I hope they get to the bottom of that. If anything, I think what they need to do, if, if it was a mistake, they said, you know, we're, we're fixing the mistake. It didn't, we, it, this shouldn't have happened this way. We're fixing the mistake. It, that's all you got to say, right? Um, we're, we're working to fix it. You don't have to go out there and say, well, they checked the wrong box and we didn't want to throw it away or whatever. And I feel like those are just all excuses when, Ultimately, you have to say uh, all, there was mistakes here, right? The, the system failed in a few places. We're fixing it. We want to make sure that the highest risk get it. And that's the one for working on the priority level. One other bit of news that came out was Saved by the Bell star Dustin Diamond dying at the age of 44. He was diagnosed with lung cancer, and we just learned about it recently. If uh, To me, I feel like it was just a couple of weeks ago. I guess he was in the hospital for it. And stage four? A very young age for you know, lung cancer at the age of 44 reminds me of things like um, that one comedian, Andy Kaufman. You know, you, you don't have to smoke to get lung cancer, just things that happen in some people. He became famous for his role of Screech on Say by the Bell. I used to watch Say by the Bell. I thought it was a great show. I haven't watched it in a long time, but it's one of those things where if it's on, like you just so happen to scroll past it, it's when I'd stop and watch it and see what's going on. When I was watching it, it was before I was in high school, and it was depicting kids in high school. I wouldn't say I ever watched an episode in high school. It just didn't happen. Um, not on purpose, at least. Maybe accidentally. But it was at the right time. You looked into it and said, this is what high school is like, not realizing it's not what high school is like. He was someone that didn't uh, make a lot of friends. He actually is someone that rubbed people the wrong way for a lot of different reasons. As a child star, someone that had difficulty getting roles after that. Um, he, he wasn't necessarily courteous or kind or nice to a lot of people. He put that book out that was written by a ghostwriter, which I'm going to play a clip from extra here. 
where he sat down with Mario Lopez. But it alienated a lot of the people he worked with. But then again, if he's in his 30s and it's been 15 years since he's even talked to any of those people, he's probably thinking to himself, you know, what do I got to lose putting something like this out, documenting my side of the story? Well, it it did uh, hurt the feelings of the people. Instead of the, him trying to reconnect or get closer to them in certain ways, instead, it, it pushed him away. Eventually, he sat down with Mario Lopez, who's the host of Extra, and tried to fix that. When was the last time you saw any of the cast members. It's been ages. I mean, I haven't seen Mark Paul since I was 16. Really? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Tiffany or Elizabeth since then either. You know, I'm 39. It's been a minute. Wow. Is there anything you'd like to say to them if you saw them? Gosh, yeah. I would just like to give them a hug and tell them how proud I am of what they've been doing and, you know, ask uh, for forgiveness for any kind of, you know, misunderstandings that may have, you know, come about by the book. And, you know, obviously it was never my intention, but with my name being put on the front of it and with Ghostwriter, by nature of it, his name is nowhere to be. So it's believable that it was mine. You know, the photo thing happened after that, uh, um, People Magazine, things like that, where I wasn't part of the cast, I wasn't part of the cover and stuff. So everyone started, you know, the telephone game, the rumors, oh, well, he wasn't invited. No one wants him there. No one likes him. So after that, it was like, oh, well, he's the bad boy. He's bitter. He hates everyone. He's, he's you know, he's kind of turned his nose up to the world. And it really haven't. That's the farthest thing from the truth. What'd you think when you saw the Saved by the Bell reunion on The Tonight Show? I wish I could have been a part of it. You know, I didn't I didn't know that was going on until it was already done. You know, but uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was great. I mean, just the wardrobe and seeing the set and everything else. That was oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. And he was left out of a lot of things. And it's tough because he was one of the stars of the show and he actually hung on even after the cast and they did a new show or whatever and belding at him and they were it was on Saturday mornings. But still. I, I've listened to this interview, at least from Extra. It gave him his opportunity to say, I wish I would have done things differently. And I think that's important for a lot of different people's lives when they go back and think about it, because not a lot of people get that opportunity. And maybe you can reflect on that tonight. 44, dying at the age of 44, stage four lung cancer. Dustin Diamond, who played Screech on Say by the Bell. Uh, he is burned into so many different people's memories in a good way when they think back of those years. After the break, Rich Rubino, he joins us on Overnight America KMOX. Weekday mornings at 8.30, Charlie Brennan and Amy Marks Kors provide perspective on KMOX and KMOX.com. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks, soon to have another book out. Rich Rubino, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today, Ryan? You know, I'm doing all right. So tell me what the last couple of weeks have been like for you, the first few in the Biden administration. Is there anything that you've been paying close attention to? Yeah, no, I really have. It's been interesting to see, I mean, to see kind of where Joe Biden is trying to position himself. Will he be trying to position himself as a centrist or will he try to kind of propitiate the Democratic base? And so far, in terms of his executive orders that he signed, he seems to be moving to the left. Now, that's something oftentimes the president will do in the first couple of weeks, the first month of the administration. And then once you get closer to the midterm elections, they will move closer to the center. Um, obviously, this was the argument that Trump was trying to make. He was trying to make the case that Joe Biden is somehow a Trojan horse for the left. In other words, he himself is not necessarily, you know, an unadulterated, unreserved liberal, but he will come in there and he will be so weak that essentially AOC and the um, Progressive Caucus will take over the White House. I think so far, though, it's, he has not moved. I mean, I think so far 
um, you know, obviously he signed executive orders, and executive orders are things that can be rescinded by the next president. So they're not stuff that's perpetual. They're not going to be set necessarily um, necessarily in stone. But, it, you know, it's interesting. He's doing what kind of what he can by executive fiat, if you will. But he's now going to be meeting with the Republicans to talk about corona relief, to talk about budget resolutions. And we'll see what he's going to try to do if he's going to try to siphon off some Republicans to vote with him. But um, it's interesting because so for the corona relief specifically, you know, you need 60 votes generally in the United States Senate to get something through, get something major through, meaning that you have to invoke cloture, which breaks off a filibuster. A filibuster is essentially um, delaying a vote to the point that you can't even have the vote anymore. So uh, it used to be talking called talking to death when you would read the phone book. Harry Reid would read about Searchlight Nevada, his hometown, for example. So it's interesting if he can't get the 60 votes to upper and it appears that he will not be able to, then you'll see if he goes to rescission, which is essentially means that you can get something passed with 50 votes, which certainly would be effective, um, but it obviously will put a bad taste in terms of partisanship in the mouth of some Republicans. In the House, you only need 218 votes, but right now the Democrats have an extremely small um, majority to work with. They're literally at 222 Democrats or 212 Republicans, so he really can take very, very little um, people uh, both in the House and certainly no, none in the Senate um, moving off the reservation and voting against anything, which means essentially that moderate Democrats are really hegemonic right now over the, uh, over the legislative agenda of the United States Congress, like they were, for example, in 1993. In 1993, when Bill Clinton was trying to get his budget resolution, uh, the Budget Discretionary Act of 1993 passed in terms of deficit reduction. It came down to moderate Democrats in the House, got to the point where Ray Thornton of Arkansas, his hometown congressman, would not vote for the resolution. So he went to, it was literally, he needed one vote. So he went to Marjorie Mitchell-Spizvinsky of Pennsylvania, and she landed up voting. She landed up kind of, um, um, she landed up being the deciding vote, later losing re-election. Then he went to the Senate. He actually had six defectors for his budget resolution, but it came down to Bob Kerry of Nebraska, one of the vociferous opponents for the Democratic nomination, and finally Bob Kerry voted for the resolution. So it's very interesting to see how he's going to play, how this will play out. You mentioned uh, Bill Clinton, 1993. You want to guess what the number one song in 1993 was? The number one song. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at it. I had to look it up. It was uh, uh, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I would back. not have guessed that. I would not. Yeah, I was thinking it's something maybe Public Enemy, but maybe that was a little earlier. Oh, no, then follow. That was Tag Team. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> oh, these great songs. Okay, so you talk about the reconciliation and the idea of how they're they're looking to move this forward. I, I do want to talk to you about that, but I, I wanted to give you an observation, and maybe you can tell me if it's a fair or unfair observation. And it might just be a COVID thing, but it seems like in the onset of the Trump administration, he was out a lot, right? He was in front of people, meeting with people, doing yes. things. Today... This was the first meeting Joe Biden took uh, with the House Republicans. I remember uh, I, I listened to the brief press uh, briefing that Susan Collins did, and she said, we're honored to be the first meeting that he's taken in the White House. And I keep thinking, man, he hasn't made that many appearances. He's been very limited in the time that he's given to reporters or talking. It seems like the complete opposite. So there's been a lot of things going on behind the scenes, a lot of flurry of activity when it comes to executive orders, things like that. And I don't know if that's a fair observation. Is, is that a little bit different than how most presidents start off their presidency? No, uh, in terms of Trump, you're right. In terms of Trump, um, he the next very next day he got he was out. He gave a speech um, to the CIA employees, for example. 
I think there are different types of presidencies. There are those that I think, you know, are constantly on Air Force One, um, barnstorming the country, giving speeches. Um, Sometimes they're campaign speeches. Sometimes they're speeches to get their legislative program through. I think Joe Biden is more of a Gerald Ford or a Lyndon Johnson type. By that, I mean politicians that do not necessarily spend an inordinate amount of time um, out speaking. There are more people who I think would spend time talking to legislative to legislative leaders, trying to trying to figure out strategy in terms of getting legislation through. Um, probably dealing with some of the intricacies of the jobs, you know, appointments. I mean, right now a lot of it is certainly um, figuring out who, figuring out, you know, the White House staff, kind of how that's going to, how that's going to, how who's going to be and who's going to, who's going to have, you know, power over certain, um, over certain decisions. How his day is going to go, and that's probably what Joe Biden is probably more um, t- that type of a president. Some of them could do both. Um, Bill Clinton, for example, I mean, would work 18-hour days. He would go out, he would give a speech, and then he would come back and he'd meet with legislative leaders and, you know, that type of thing. But, I mean, some of it, is too, is just a matter of getting settled. I'm sure there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of things, even though Joe Biden was vice president and been in the Senate since 73, there's probably a lot of work that he probably did was unanticipated, and some of it is probably the work that we don't see in terms of intelligence briefings, in terms of meeting about you know what happened in Miramar this past weekend, for example. So I wouldn't read too much into that, but I don't think that Joe Biden is going to be the type of a politician that's going to be spending a lot of time on a lot of time giving policy speeches. That being said, once we get to 2022. Um, since it, since it's so important for him to keep the Democrat control of the House, and he'll probably lose in the Senate, but to at least um, at least salvage as many seats as possible, he probably will be spending a lot of time, inordinate amount of time, um, on the campaign hustings. Yeah, so that's all fascinating. I, I like um, seeing what's going on right now when it comes to the press briefings. I've been trying to watch some of those. I don't know if you catch those or not. Um, they seem to be quicker, uh, at least in this case, and. I keep going back and trying to pay attention to the answers. There's a lot of non-answers, which I think is pretty <laughs> typical, I guess, when it comes to politics. Yeah. You know, someone will ask a tough question, and there'll be a lot of non-answers. They're just very tactful of how they set it up and to lead you into the impression that they're doing something or something has happened. But in all reality, they never answer the question if they're actually doing something or not. Like, you know, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. But it's like, you know, as you can tell, this is a very important issue for the administration. And because it's a very important issue, we have... Extended uh, our interest in this, this, and this, but it didn't say they did anything. It just said, "Okay, we understand it's an important issue, but because we say that, it makes us hint that we're doing something, but it doesn't mean they are." Yeah, no, obviously, it's it's very hard. I mean, absolutely, certainly, the Biden communications team certainly has experience in this, as most presidents do. Usually, um, you very rarely do you answer declarative sentences. And you see this all the time, by the way, if you watch the debate and there's a candidate that does not want to talk about a certain issue, what they will do is they'll try to answer it in one or two sentences, and they'll try to deflect and talk about what they actually want to talk about. Um, Certainly you see a lot of this in terms of political communications generally. Obviously, if you answer a sentence in, very decla- in a very declarative way, then someone's going to come back, come by, come back, and say, you know, this is the way he an- that person answered. But if you answered more subjunctive, if you answer more or less, you know, that's something the president really views as very important, something to that effect. Or you know, the president will certainly look into that. Then certainly you can kind of change the way that um, the way the, change your language a little bit later on. Um, it's like when, for example. You know, when you're running for office and you say, and someone says, will you do, will, someone says, will you do, will you, what will you do with taxes? And the candidate says, you know what, I'm not going to raise income taxes. Then the candidate gets in office for governor, and you know what they do? 
they raise another type of tax. They close corporate yeah. loopholes, or they ra- or they cut local aid to municipalities. So they have to raise property taxes. Then the candidate goes back and runs for re-election. He says, "You know what? I never raised income taxes, which is true, but people are still paying the same amount. They're just paying it a different way. So it's very sim- or you raise fees, something to like that. So it's very similar." Yeah, or in similar, what we saw with the issue with fracking. So they were very definitive. Yes, you yes. know, Kamala Harris comes out and said, no, we won't ban fracking, you know, in the, in the way that they said it. And then Joe Biden comes in with an executive order, and they said, well, actually, if you if we want to be specific in the language we use, we're technically, you know, and then they pull one of those. Oh, no, absolutely. absolutely. And executive orders are interesting, too, because, you know, Bill Clinton really, I think Joe Biden could learn a lot. Bill Clinton really perfected him in terms of specifically his second two years in office. So he had very few of the first two. But what happened was Dick Morris kind of infiltrated the administration. Dick Morris, the former Republican consultant who'd worked for him in Arkansas, helped salvage his political career, came back. And so a lot of these executive orders the president signed, people never hear it because they're so minor. It'll be like, I direct, this, this executive order directs the Secretary of Agriculture to look into this or to look into that. And what Bill Clinton would do is he'd actually, he'd actually devote entire radio addresses to something that's very minor, but something that can appeal to a specific constituency. So as a result, you know, um, sometimes he would actually even go out and give speeches about an executive order that he had signed. So now, you know, politicians can actually use executive orders kind of to their kind of to, to, to the, certainly, fa- certainly favorable to them politically. And sometimes I think that a lot of people don't quite realize, I think, you know, the body politic, people have lives, they don't necessarily realize the legislative programs, they don't realize how there's so much power and executive power, executive order actually has. So they might think that the president's just signing something by fiat, and it's just essentially becoming law for time and memorial. So, you know, Joe Biden can really do a lot of, a lot of good politically for himself if he kind of plays his cards rights in terms of the executive orders, but eventually he's going to get to the point where there's only so many more he can sign because he signed so many in the first couple of weeks. He could have, you know, bared it out, do one here, do one a, couple, a month from now, and one another month from now, one another month from now, something to that effect. I was going to say they're already looking at the pens and the inks run dry on some of them. <laughs> um, well, maybe after the break, we, we heard this in the news at the top of the hour, a quote from Mitch McConnell, at least uh, CBS Radio News was using it, how... They're saying that uh, problems with characters in the Republican Party like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Can we talk about that after the break? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll do that. And, of course, if people wanted to look you up online, plita-geek.com. And if they wanted to find you on social media, Rich, where can they look? Yep, just go to Twitter, Rich Rubino Paul, P-O-L, or just go to Facebook at Rich, Rich, R-I-C-H, and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. And I think we're still in the window. If you want to go online and wish Rich a belated birthday, you can do that, too, on social media. We'll continue with him right after the break, and we'll take a look at your weather on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. 
Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Get ready for Billiken's Basketball Wednesday night as they take on LaSalle. Pre-game 545, tip-off at 6. Hear it here on your home for Billiken's Basketball, KMOX. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. I'm your host, Ryan Recker, and joining us is Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. Polita-Geek.com is where you can find him online. We even heard it at the top of the news there with CBS and talking about the problem that Marjorie Taylor Greene poses to the Republican Party, even Mitch McConnell coming out and distancing not just him, but it sounds like the party by itself and how to handle something like that. I'm sure you've seen personalities like this before in different uh, parties in the past where there have been a very, um, well, disruptive, we'll put it that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's always, I mean, at the, so the so the issue here is you've got a freshman member of the Republican Party, a party of 435 voting members, and now she's being portrayed on Saturday Night Live. She's in the front page of the newspaper. Um, this is something. The, this is a bugaboo. The Republican establishment does not want. They do not want. To, they do not want voters in 2022 to go to the polls and see the wherever the Republican candidate is is the party of Marjorie Taylor Greene. And they're putting a lot of conservatives specifically in a tight spot because, on the one hand, they want to continue to get the money and they want to continue to get garner grassroots supports, supporters who may be, who may favor a lot of what she says. But on the other hand, they don't want to lose the establishment support, and they also do not want kind of moderates or Biden Republicans, if you will, to kind of you know leave ship and not necessarily support them. So that's the problem she has. Certainly the Republican Party has had a couple in the past, Bob Dornan, for example, a congressman from Orange County, California. He was known as B-1 Bob because of his support for the B-1 bombers um, produced in his home state of California. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because there were a few instances, for example, he went on the House floor on one time, and called Bill Clinton, said that Bill Clinton during Vietnam, because he was protesting in London when he was a student at Oxford, had given aid and comfort to the enemy. Um, and then later on, he was later actually expelled from the House floor because he kept coming on back in 1997 after a disputed election with Laura Sanchez, where he lost by about 987 votes. But there was, he was somebody who was constantly, their Democrat Republicans were constantly asked about just because he became such a name. At one point, Bill Clinton said essentially that he looks like he just had, he looks like he, he, he just had his rabies shot. So he was someone that garnered a lot of media attention. Um, then on the Democratic side, actually James Traficant. And it's interesting. So James Traficant was a Democrat. He was the one with the kind of this really peculiar hair. He would get up there on the House floor and he would say, beam me up, and he would um, give these speeches. And at one point, um, he actually became, he became, yes, yes, and he became an independent. He left the Democratic Party. And then right when he left the Democratic Party, it turns out that he had allegedly, um, some of it, he had paid, he had forced some of his staffers to work on his houseboat. So there was these hearings, and then there was, a, there was an impeachment, there was a expulsion hearing. Only one member, Gary Conant of California, voted against him being expelled. We just got garnered so much attention. Bob Packwood, another example in Oregon, back in, back in the early 1990s. Um, it's very hard sometimes for 
apart for somebody running for office to just try to show themselves as being different than kind of the stereotype. And the Democrats are going to do everything they can. They don't want I don't I doubt from a strategic standpoint, they want her to be expelled or to leave Congress. They would rather have her stay and they would rather play ads that show a picture of her and then a picture of a more establishment Republican running in 2022. They want to make her the face card, if you will, of the Republican Party. Mm, I'll, uh, you got to put some context into beam me up. So when would he use that <laughs> phrase? <laughs> he would give these speeches about stuff that about odd stuff that was going on in the country or stuff. Um, for example, he said at one point he start, he talked about a poll that showed only 12 percent of scientists um, believe that there was a higher power. And then at the end of the speech, he would go on and he would say that most of those are the same absent minded professors who couldn't even find the toilet. And they say, beam me up. And he'd give these speeches, and you can go to YouTube and you can hear them. Sometimes they were just a couple of minutes. He'd get in the, he'd, he'd, he'd go on there and he'd talk about just really odd, odd things. And then he, as I say, then he would do, then he would, then he would say, "Beam me up." But he had this weird hair, so it was a, he became almost a household word. And for the luck of the Democrats, he was very kind of on the outs with the Democrats um, later in his in minutes, later in his um, in his in his in his term in the House. So he actually became an independent. And a right, but a few years after he became an independent, these Essex allegations came up, and then he was actually had to sit in front of the um, House Ethics Committee, and he testified for himself. Interesting. This is someone, by the way, in 1983, when he was a sheriff, he also had corruption charges, and he's the first person in American history to beat a RICO statute representing representing himself. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> he's a very much, very much of a character. Yeah, and I think that in ways over the past couple of years, we've seen certain prominent Democrats uh, also come up that have become uh, not necessarily the face for the party, but they have become very outspoken. You know, the Ocasio-Cortez's of the world uh, and and like Representative Omar is a big one that comes up to me and some of the different um, uh, backgrounds and scandals of things they may have said and done in the past. Uh, Tlaib, I think it is the one in Michigan. So there's a yep. few of them that have uh, come out and been pointed out. This is a little bit different in this sense. But then again, I don't think they've always been courteous to other people in Congress either. So there might be some it, it's weird. The staying power, sometimes it's leaned into by the party. Sometimes it's looked at as a threat by the party. Some people say, OK, they're going to continue to push the party even further because now they have this political sway. It's weird. Sometimes the characters uh, I shouldn't say characters, but sometimes congressmen could become this character and sometimes they lean into it and sometimes they you know, push them away. Well, yeah, the, I think the last time the Republicans really tried to push someone away actively was probably Steve King, not the author, mm. but the, um, yeah. the congressman from the congressman from the district in Iowa that includes Sioux City. So he was somebody who had a history of what a lot of what some people viewed as white supremacist. He had suggested that it's impossible to be um, it's impossible to be raped. To be, he suggested sometimes that it was kind of impossible to be to be raped in terms of um, incest. It was just had some very interesting. You have to kind of look it up. Yeah, very weird. interesting per- perceptions. He was viewed as a white nationalist. He talked. To, he asked at one point why it was a white nationalist was viewed as kind of um, a negative term. And then you had Mitch McConnell actually going on to say if anyone has to learn that, um, you know, they really have a problem. And in the, every other election, the Iowa. 
Iowa Republicans have kind of begrudgingly supported him as their candidate. And then he'd say something more, and he'd say something more. Actually, in 2016, for the nomination, because he was popular within a very conservative constituency or coterie within the Republican Party, you had Ted Cruz, who actually garnered his endorsement, but you also had Rand Paul, you know, going up to Iowa, trying to kind of kiss his ring, um, making it, go, going to events with him. So he was really kind of coveted a prize to get his endorsement. So he kind of went a step too far in 2019, and as a result, and you almost never see groups in Iowa like the Right to Life Committee actually endorsed his Republican opponent. And part of this was because while he was making all these incendiary comments and he was a Silverton orger, he was also on the Agricultural Committee. And on the Agricultural Committee, he could potentially bring in largesse to the state of Iowa. So what the Republican Party did, which is very rare, is they literally stripped him of all committee assignments – so as a result, his Republican opponent could say, what good can a congressman do if he's not on any committees? He can't talk about his clout on the Agriculture Committee anymore. He can't author legislation in the Agriculture Committee. And anything he does author is never going to go anywhere. So as a result, um, you know, event, so as a result um, he had really no kind of um, political pull to talk about what he's being able to do for his own district in 2020. So he lost re-election. You know, Kevin McCarthy, Liz Cheney said he should find another line of work the entire establishment of the Republican Party pretty much left him out to dry. He still ran as a grassroots candidate, but landed up losing. Rich Rubino from American Politics on the Rocks, author of that book, and another book coming soon in politi-geek.com. There was one question asked today during the press conference in the White House, and someone was asking, now that Donald Trump is off social media, is it easier to talk to Republicans because he doesn't have that direct sway. And I thought that was an interesting question. It, yeah. it made me wonder what kind of sway does now former President Trump have over Republicans when he can't go online social media wise, make direct comments? And, and does, does that maybe lessen his power when it comes to what other Republicans are doing? Yeah, no, I think that and also just simply the fact that he's out of office. I mean, even when he was in office, he could just go down and have a even if if he did not have social media, he could go downstairs, go into the briefing room and excoriate a member of Congress who didn't vote his way or had condemned him something to that effect. But certainly that's correct. There's I mean, obviously he's doing he can do things behind the scenes, but the fact that you don't see Donald Trump every day and the fact that he cannot go on Twitter and immediately go after somebody. I mean, in two thousand just when John Thune, for example, um, from South from South Dakota, the number two man in the Republican Party suggested that Joe Biden won the election. Donald Trump, within twenty four within a couple hours, goes on there and calls him a rhino, calls him Mitch's boy, and says we need a primary challenge for him in twenty twenty two. You know he can't do that. Um, so I guess you could try CB radio or something, but um, right now it does not have that effect. <laughs> CB radio <laughs> that would be one way breaker, to do it. Breaker, breaker. This is Donald Trump. I'd like to talk to you today about the Republican leadership. Maybe I don't know. That's was, what would maybe his the avenue be? Because it's like trucker handles and things. <laughs> sure, he would have to have a really cool handle. The, Forty-five. The, the he can call himself. Oh yeah, breaker, breaker. It's forty-five. I love that. <laughs> okay. Well, well that makes you wonder too. But, yeah, go ahead. Betty Ford, when she was in, when she was first lady, used to actually go on from the White House. She called herself first mama, and she'd be talking to truckers. So, no way, really? Yes, she did. This is when this is when it was kind of at its high watermark. CB radios, people wanted to go on CB radios. I thought they were just so cool, and she would go on there from the from the White House and do that. Wow. 
Uh, that would be a, a strange thing. Does she identify as herself or was she playing someone else? Kind of like Mitt Romney when he was online that one time with a fake persona. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, she would actually if she would actually say that, you know, she was um, there's actually some pictures of her, but she, with her CB radio online. But she would actually say, yeah, you know, I'm Betty Ford and she would be talking to truckers. And she did, I mean, this was the time when everyone was so interested in that type of a thing because it was a new medium, if you will. Um, and people just like the idea that you could have a party line, you could have, you know, people from different states being able to talk on a CB radio, and she was at the White House, and she'd be talking to truckers. Oh, isn't that something? That sounds so great. Uh, there's a lot of CB radio fans. The person that did this show for a long time on KMOX radio from, you know, 70s to late 90s was a man by the name of Jim White. He was a big CB radio guy, and he would handle that. A lot of old radio people loved getting into it. And I don't think people realize this. If you walk through a neighborhood and you see what looks like a giant dish or like an antenna, it's not for yeah. trying to get TV stations into the house because, you know, they're off of the cable or whatever. It's because a lot of them are broadcasting uh, shortwave or whatever in their house. And they, they built these elaborate towers in order to broadcast out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I remember. Well, even I, re I can remember in the late 80s and the early 90s, I certainly had a... Uh, had a had a CB radio, and I would sometimes uh, be talking to uh, talking to talking to truckers. I remember I was, uh, <laughs> and not only truckers, but just you would talk to every anyone within kind of a thirty mile radius. I think I had my original um, handle was broken leg. Then someone asked me why it was broken leg. Did you break your leg? And I said no. I just thought it was kind of cool. So then they said yeah. you need to have a reason for it. So then they came up with the name Black Bear, and I couldn't figure out what the reason for Black Bear was, but I just thought it was a cool name. It's a cool name. You know, when I was growing up, the only way you were able to do something like that is if you had a Mr. Microphone, and it was only to radios that were really close in proximity to you. Do you ever have one of those? <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember having a walkie-talkie, and I'd put one, and then I'd put the other next to each other, and then you'd hear this back, and then you'd hear this um, background noise, and it would just kind of go, and it would, they kind of, you could see the two kind of meeting, and then once in a while, you could hear somebody maybe... Maybe somebody three or four miles down the road, you could hear other people talking. You can kind of listen into the conversation. Oh, yeah. What a thrill that was when the early wireless like uh, phones that you had inside the house. So it was not the cords, but the cordless phones. And then you could some people I remember my uncle had one of these. You bought a device and it was able to pick up some of these signals like of the close neighbors. And you'd listen in their phone yes, conversations. Yes. <laughs> I do, I do remember that. It was almost like party lines. I even remember um, in college, sometimes I'd pick up the phone, and you could hear the neighbors just talking to somebody else. Um, and for some reason, you would get it on your phone, and I mean, you could listen to it for hours, I guess, if you wanted to. But they weren't saying yeah. anything that interesting, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, see, now you're dating yourself. Now, there's a certain cutoff point to party lines. After I don't even know when those were phased out, and the only reason I know they exist is because of the old movies would have them every well, once in a while. I think it might have just been some sort of almost um, a faux pas within the, um, within the system they had. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, you would just pick it up and you could hear people talking. You don't know if it was you know the people in your dorm or the people in the couple of dorms down the road, but I do remember that. I don't think it was actually called – it might not have actually been a party line, but – you could sometimes listen in on conversations. Luckily, they weren't necessarily talking about me. Yeah, <laughs> you would hope not, <laughs> unless they're talking about Black Bear. You know, they're using your code name or whatever to try to evade. So if people wanted to look you up again online, you have your blog and your posts and your appearances. Where can they look? And by the way, they were never talking about the constitutionality, constitutional permissibility of the line item veto. Never happened. Oh. Um, <laughs> you can go to 
uh, Rich Uh-oh. Rubino on Facebook or Rich Rubino uh, Paul or um, you can do, or on Twitter or you can just go to uh, www.paletta-geek.com. Perfect, Rich. I appreciate that. Uh, and of course, or you can find I, me I'm on always... CB Radio as Black Bear. Yeah, I know. We're going to have to pop it in real quick and see. And there may be a lot of CB radio people listening right now and being able to pop one of those things up there. I'm always a fan of it. And, you know, and I I would always want to try it. But here's the thing. I do four hours of radio every night. Like I need to get another opportunity to broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe uh, Mr. Mike would be the way to do it. So, Rich Rubino, thanks for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ryan. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. You can find me on Facebook, Ryan Wrecker Radio. It's the way that you can message me. It's uh, easy. I know a lot of people do it. If you don't, it's also a good way to just kind of keep up to date with the things that are going on, including my Sunday night chat. I put this video up online. We do it live, so you can always uh, talk to me on there, which is pretty cool. But otherwise, we only got a few more minutes here, and uh, maybe in these times if you're just looking for something to do go download my podcast overnight america i wanted to bring this one article up real quick from bloomberg elon musk says he's wired up a monkey's brain to play video games isn't that weird well so what are you going to accomplish from that i know he wants to do this Neuralink, and the idea is if we could put a chip into your brain and that chip would be able to monitor certain things. It might make it easier for you to calculate things in your brain. It might be able to aid you in things that you're doing. And ultimately, as a person, you may benefit from this because, hey, if, if you could unlock things that were difficult to you, but all of a sudden you can do it, or maybe you can understand things better, we as a society could do so much more. What if we could understand complex things a lot better? What if we could think about, okay, uh, I got a formula. This will help me make some money, right? What if what if these concepts that we never could understand before were unlocked? So now they're trying it on monkeys. Um, I think the thing that would be strange is if those videos started to surface online where you get these like computer wires hanging out of a monkey's head while they're trying to play Mario Brothers. So Musk was speaking on Clubhouse, which is a social media app, and just in general talking about these things. He said that um, they've developed this and they've been working on it, Neuralink, since 2017 when he at least first talked about it. And he mentioned, we have a monkey with a wireless implant in their skull with tiny wires who can play video games with his mind. He told about a thousand people who were watching at the time. You can't see where the implant is and he's a happy monkey. We have the nicest monkey facilities in the world. I want them to play mind pong with each other. It's kind of a weird thing to encourage. Mind Pong. Now, that is some real... If you're trying to figure out if he's a supervillain or a superhero, that's definitely on the side of supervillain, if you ask me. All right, enjoy the replay hours. They're coming up next. And uh, I hope to talk to you tomorrow at 8 o'clock for Overnight America. Otherwise, reach me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. Have a great night. We'll see you. The lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Change the dial on the radio 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 